You are about to listen to a message from Dan Moeller, a personal friend and family member of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Dan has an intense passion to see the body of Christ walk in their identity, know the love that God has for them, and then properly show that love to everyone that they encounter. So prepare yourself to be inspired and motivated to be more like Jesus and to love like he loves to everyone that you encounter. And what's God up to? Teaching not living for yourself, man. Getting, getting over the way that we all felt and thought our whole lives and called normal. Just getting out of the rut of being a Christian for your sake. Like coming to God for blessing. He's not a genie in a bottle. His name isn't synonymous to abracadabra. He's a father. And he wants to move inside of you and transform your life so your life shines in the world. Darkness is never the problem. Darkness is never, ever, ever the problem. You can't say, well, my city's getting so dark. Darkness is the absence of light, and you're the light of the world. So shine. Don't complain. Don't get mad, and don't move out. Shine. There's darkness everywhere. Nobody walked into a tremendously bright room and said, dude, would you guys, like, these lights are a little bright. Would somebody turn up the darkness? No. If the room gets dimmer, somebody turned down the light. So arise, shine, church. Your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen, and it's upon you. Oh, darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness the people. But the light is upon you. That's Old Testament. New Testament says, let your light so shine before men that they, not hear, see. This isn't just the great confession. This is the great expression. The word becomes flesh. In fact, I don't even believe your words carry the weight that they're called to until your life demonstrates what you say. People have very little interest in what you say if they can't see it in your life. And sometimes you don't have to say a thing and they see it in your life and then they want to know what you have to say. That's powerful. That's a powerful place right there. Are you guys with me? Wouldn't it be amazing to be at work and just have a totally off-the-wall to them different attitude, but it's just simply Christ. You're done complaining. You're done praying for God to knock your boss off his high horse. You're just done self-centered prayers. You're done living in subtle self-righteousness where you think everybody needs to change to suit you, and that's a move of God. No, you change to start loving people where they're at. That's a move of God. Where your days, like we talked about earlier, and he said it again, complaining, where your days of complaining are over. Where where your days of just optional living like, well, you know, but I just feel a little hurt right now. Where where you actually get so strong with yourself in faith and a steward of your heart and get your eyes off of everybody else and say, you know what, I'm done with it. It's non-productive. It can't be the truth, and I don't see it in Jesus' life. I'm just done with it. This morning, this phrase kept hitting me. It's rare I repeat things in another service. It's usually a totally another arena, but I'm there right now. I mean, we got to get to a place, guys, where you're the steward of your own heart and life, and you begin to live a non-optional life. Like the things of the flesh are non-optional. Just appeasing your emotions, just following fantasy, just illicit desire. I talked this morning about adultery, and I said, how is it possible, guys, that your marriage is struggling so you get attracted to somebody else? Are you kidding me? That is hell itself. 
That's, don't try to psychologically explain that to me. It's the wisdom of the world. It's every man for himself. It's you pacifying yourself, bandaging yourself, and trying to survive. You're born again. You don't even have that option. It's not even an option. And if you knew the Lord, if you knew, I didn't say if you go to Rock City. I said if you knew the Lord, it wouldn't be an option. So you're using something to fill something that only he can. So become non-optional if it has to do with the flesh and it's not productive. We teach this back home strongly. I teach it everywhere I go, but, but our folks back home and the times I've spent at home and the pastoring I've done at home, our folks know this. If what you're thinking what you're meditating on and what you're starting to muse in and tend to believe isn't encouraging your life and exciting your heart and moving you forward. It cannot be the Lord no matter how rational it seems. There's a way that, oh, that's the problem, see? It seems right. It's called the wisdom of the world. And the Bible says it's foolishness to God, the wisdom of the world, the way the world thinks. Them talk shows that they have on TV where it's victim, villain, and all the audience becomes the judge, and now they hate one and sympathize with another. It's miserable stuff, man. It's heart-wrenching, miserable stuff. It's the fall of man at its finest, and some people watch that stuff for entertainment. Get entertained by what he shed his blood to forgive. (laughs) Are you kidding me? You think I need to watch a little seductive scene in a movie and I got my eye like, whoa, and I'm not really feeling like I should look, but I want to look because she's like half undressing and I'm like, wow, she looks good. Are you kidding me? He paid a price to forgive me of that. Why would I do that? I I just don't want that because it can't be healthy for destiny in the kingdom of God. (laughs) Non-optional. We... We've been deceived if we're not careful. I'm not talking to you personally. I'm talking to a large body of Christ. Don't take me personal and get hurt or you're going to hear me wrong. I'm not talking to you as an individual. I'm talking what you're never called to be, so don't ever be it. And in that, I'm calling you to what you're called to be, so let's go after it. Look, I didn't fly down here to correct you. I flew down here to tell you who you are because I believe we have destiny. I believe we have destiny. And honestly, if I did come for Honor Rams, I would pick a bigger church and I would have made sure he took offerings every service and passed a bucket and made sure he took time taking the offering like he did this morning. <laughs> if you'll listen to his offering message this morning, it had nothing to do with you giving money. It had to do with you becoming like Christ and making sure your heart's right in all that you do. If you really listened, it had nothing to do with you ought to give good so we can get another facility. It had zero to do with that. And I believe him. Every time I heard he said, I really don't care. I don't pay attention and I don't look. I actually believe him. Because I've gotten to know him enough. He's not just going to say that. Listen, that's a big deal. What he's saying is it's a pastor's heart. He's saying, look, I don't want you to just do the right thing. I want you to do it from the right place. I don't want you to do just what we need. I want you to be right in doing it. Come on, we're just going to learn a form of a thing without becoming the thing. And then the thing we do becomes who we are instead of what we've become in him. And that's deception. And all of a sudden, you're ministering in a gifting and you're walking in a grace, but you're cheating on your spouse or you're lusting or you're doing something that's just so not Jesus. But you think you're okay because God moves through you here. God spoke through a donkey. God will move through a backslidden drug addict to get to somebody because he loves people if that's the only person there. 
God moving through, God giving you a word for somebody isn't your validation. Christ crucified and raised from the dead. You surrendered and submitted your intimacy. That's validation. That's Christ in you. Like your validation is sonship. Waking up righteous. Not, oh, I'd feel better if God would speak through me. I'd feel more spiritual if God would give me a word for someone. No, don't you ride that wave. You ride the wave. If you ever watch a nice big wave and the surfer's on it, it's cool in the process. And he gets that pipeline and it's awesome. But the wave's coming to an end and crashing to the shore and he's beached. Now he's got to swim the whole way back out and wait for a perfect wave. We are not riding a wave. We use all these phrases in the church, waves, movements. Are you kidding me? You don't attach to a movement. If you attach to a movement, you're trying to find your identity. You're a part of something. You're not riding away. I'm not playing with words. It says a message to me that we don't understand this is lifestyle. This is who we've become. We're not trying to catch the next train. We've become something. Man. We're so excited about what we become. And he's not ashamed, Nathan. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. Man, you say, but I got weaknesses. Stop. Get your eyes off the weaknesses. Start looking to his strength. Let the weak say I'm strong. And instead of just being problem-driven and problem-conscious and getting your head down and being deceived and letting another year go by, look up and say, man, you're doing a work in me. God, I know there's some things you're refining and fine-tuning and strengthening in my life. God, I know the way this works, and I know, God, how you're doing. And I thank you for loving me and never forsaking me and empowering me. That sure beats troubleshooting. You know, you say, boy, my heart needs to change. Boy, my heart needs to change. And then you go in the bedroom and say, God, I need a new heart. Please, God, my heart is so wicked. I hate living with this heart. I don't know what I'm going to do if you don't put something new in me. That will never change your heart. You'll be more aware of what you believe is wrong with you, and you'll be more conscious of the issue instead of the change. You walk in the bedroom and you say, Father, I thank you. Like you said in Ezekiel, you're giving me a brand new heart. And I'm declaring your heart is in me because I want this. I'm a big yes in your presence. I want to become love. I want to walk in sonship and shine light. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, and welcome you in the work that you're doing inside of me. I thank you, God, that you're purifying, cleansing, and washing me, God. I thank you. You're making me brand new. I so appreciate your grace and your love in my life. Nothing can stay the same. You're amazing, King Jesus. Yeah? That looks a little different. <laughs> I tell people all the time, look, we are not people loaded down with a hundred different concerns and problems. We're people with one amazing answer. Sonship and Christ in me. No matter how it feels and what it is, here's the problem. We get tricked. What stops this thing so many times, the momentum that I see growing is central living. We get tricked into believing that we're only as good as we feel in the moment. We're as good as we believe in the moment. And you'd be amazed how much you actually don't need prayer for those situations. You need truth in those situations. Because until you get truth, you won't feel any different. Truth changes your emotions. So if you just wake up in the morning and say, boy, I'm not feeling too good. Let me just, man, let me just call Amber. She's just such a sweet lady and she's just got such a grip on God. And if I can call Amber, she'll pray me through. You put Amber in a risk because if you're calling Amber and three more people say that and then you start saying, man, you need to call Amber. She prays for you. The presence of God comes all over you and your heart just starts beating and sweating and Jesus just is like he's holding you in his hands when she's praying. That girl is a prayer warrior. If you start talking like that, she's got to be careful that she just doesn't become a prayer warrior and your answer and that you're leaning on her to get something from her that you can only really get from him because you're missing it from him because it's not about waking up going wow feels like it's going to be one of those days 
probably ought to call Amber to pray me through. No, no, no. You wake up and you go, what is that? Feels like one of those goes, God feels far away. Your flesh doesn't feel good. You don't feel like getting out of bed. It feels like you want another hour of sleep. I'm just being relatable. Some mornings it's like that for folks. So instead of saying, boy, it's going to be one of these days. I know the last time I woke up like this, it was hell. I barely made it home from work. I don't even know if I want, man, I need prayer. You don't need prayer. You need relationship and truth. So you wake up and you sit up in bed and your body doesn't even feel that well. Father, I just thank you that life's a gift. I thank you your grace is sufficient for me in every way. I thank you, God, that I'm never deceived into living out of past practice and experience, but your life is in me. Holy Spirit, I welcome you and I worship you, King Jesus, and thank you for your shed blood. What a gift today called life and what an opportunity to walk in the light and sow seeds into the hearts of men. I thank you I'm not a man driven by the flesh, but I live by the Spirit. My soul's in agreement. My flesh says, yes, sir. Yeah? What would happen if your prayer life looked like that? Instead of, God, please help me get through today. I don't even feel like going to work. I'm going to need your help if I'm going to get by. And if you don't touch the car, I don't even know if I'm going to make it. God, you got to get me to work. That is not prayer. That is self-focused delusion with a spiritual tone. <laughs> Are you guys all right? Yeah. Um, that's not harsh, right? I'm just, I'm just telling you. Come on. See, when it's all about you, then it's not all about him. If, if he's just here to give you a better life, we've missed it. He's here to give you a new life. We don't gather in a room for what he's going to do for us. We gather in a room to be groomed and fashioned to become more like him. There's a great marriage between coming here this morning and going. You come to look more like him when you go. When you go, you go into your sphere of influence. When you multiply the sphere of influence times the faces I'm looking at, we are covering a land, man. I'm serious. Look, I don't, I'm not trying to be weird with numbers, but, but you just tip somebody and tell them Jesus loves them a little extra like he said. You just kind gestures and favors and you open a door and you help somebody in the car and you take some time you don't have and help you make sure they can get that heavy thing in and you don't even know them. And before you leave, you haven't preached heavy. You haven't said you need to turn you sinner. You've just said, you know what? Man, I hope you have a great day. Jesus really, really loves you. Yeah. And you just head to your car. You times that. By as many faces as I'm looking at, times a month. How quick does a year go by, man? I was just here. It seems like I was just here. How quick does a year go by? You times touching people in love. Instead of getting self-concerned, self-discouraged, how's it going, brother? Well, I'm just going through a hard time. Stop, stop, stop. Don't ever let yourself go there again. What do you mean you're going through a hard time? If they rejected Jesus on the first day he preached and he went back to the disciples and said, dude, I don't know if I can get back in the saddle, man. They tried to push me off a cliff. They don't even appreciate what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> if Jesus took the natural time to get discouraged, he would have had plenty of opportunities daily. And he never gave his life and died on a cross and rose again and saved us from that lie. So why would we live in the lie since he saved us from it? Come on, he's not here to make you feel better. He's not here to make sure you get the job you want. He's here to make sure you look like him if you're willing. I can give you a scripture for it. It's Romans 8. You're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And who he predestined, he, he called. And who he called, he justified. And who he justified, he glorified. How did he do that? By filling you with the same spirit. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Watch this. For God did not. Spare his own son. How shall he not 
freely give us all things through that same son. All things what? All things necessary to be conformed to his image. He's not talking about full vats and barns. He's talking about his image. The reason you're here is to shine. Sometimes I think we think in America we're here to prosper. No, you're here to shine. Paul said, whether I have enough or don't have enough, I'm the same. I've learned something. I'm the same in every situation because he hasn't changed and neither has calling, purpose, or destiny. And it's great when I have enough, but you know what? Nothing changes when I don't have enough. I'm still shining. Man, they came hard against me in Ephesus. I had to fight beasts. Alexander the coppersmith put me through a bunch, man. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't change. I've watched brethren let go and follow their bellies and their glory is their shame. And I weep over it, but it hasn't changed the truth. How many people have sat in church and said, well, I'm only coming to this church because, and I didn't think I'd ever go to church again, and I might even be thinking of leaving this church because I don't know, it just ain't the same as six months ago. And all of a sudden, we just realize by our language, we're trapped in a self-preference journey that's letting us down, and we're looking for something we enjoy or like or agree with instead of getting transformed by. I sit with people countless on airplanes getting conversations. And you can't believe the large percentage. I'm talking 90% of the people I talk to do not go to church and they have a bad church experience and that's the reason they don't go, which means they don't have a relationship with God either. They don't. I'm not saying if you don't go to church, you don't have a relationship with God. What I'm saying is they got awed in their heart, hurt and memory, and they can tell me the story like it happened yesterday. And I'll say, well, listen, let me ask you and I'll do respect. I know you don't know me yet, but... All that you say, I understand, appreciate, and see what you're saying, and I believe it happened the way you see it, the way you feel it, and believe it. Whether it even went down that way, that's how you've responded and received it. What's any of that, anything you told me, have anything to do with him, his goodness, his love for you, and do you have a relationship with him? And I'm concerned that you're not pursuing that. You've allowed this to decide him, and you're just cut off right now. In your heart, your emotions, your soul, come on. You're letting your bad experience shut you down from pursuing God and knowing him. And your heart is at the mercy of this thing, and there's no mercy. And I just begin to share with people. I had countless people just cry and realize, and whoa, and just fun stuff, because we don't realize how quick it is to just get hurt, just get offended. To just have a desire, uh, uh, just to have a preference that gets violated, so, eh, you're out. I don't prefer you. You don't fulfill what I prefer. I don't prefer you. You know, I go to church. I have a couple of people I really like to talk to. There's some people I make sure I stay away from. That is twisted weird. The people you feel like you should stay away from are the people you ought to go lavish in love and pour yourself on and grow yourself, not to change them, because they're not called to make their, their life agree with what you want. Like, their creative value isn't to make sure they please you. It's to love you sincerely. Who knows that some personalities just feel to rub against other personalities. We do the studies, type this, type that. I, I believe it's so limiting and it's such a lie, so we live in a psychological world claiming spiritual things. Come on, man. If you were honest in this house, in this church, and God would connect you with a ministry or help serve or get something to keep this thing rolling, you might be amazed he would connect you with people that actually challenge you and people you wouldn't choose on your own. I think it would happen largely. He would actually pair you with people you'd never choose on your own. Why? Because it would help perfect you and build character in you and cause you to actually be an unconditional lover, get you out of bias and self-righteous deceptions and no judgments. And all of a sudden you get close enough to see what you weren't feeling close to and you learn to appreciate and value and realize, wow, we really are one in him. There's great diversity among us, but we have true unity because we all live for the same reason to be loved. 
Yeah? Yeah. Come on, you might be amazed how God is such a father. There was a time my wife prayed for me. For 13 years, she prayed for me to change, and God never answered her prayer. In fact, my wife watched me get worse all those 13 years. So after 13 years, the analytical mind kicks in. So she's hard in her heart, and she found the strength to say she didn't want the marriage anymore. And I said, woohoo, I'm glad you finally agree with that because I need to move on anyway. What am I wasting my time with you for? That's how lost I was. And that's what I said to make sure I heard her. So if I'm leaving, i got to leave one last sting. Isn't that sad? <sighs> Mother of my children, 13 years of my life, and I'm going to look her in the face in disdain, lost, lost in my self-centeredness, and actually say to her, you don't have to say that stuff. It's just the lost humanity. It's a perversion, man. So you look at her and you say, you know, well, I'm, gr- I'm glad, finally. That's why I don't know why I wasted 13 years with you. I'm moving on. There's certainly something better than you out there. That's what I said right to her face. So she gets broke and goes to her bedroom. And you know what she said analytically? You know what I mean by analytically? You just process and you hear the voice that Eve listened to in the garden. God spoke, but the voice says, well, yeah, but, you know, really, you know. And you know what happens? Because you're hurt, you're already hurt, because you're already in unforgiveness. you got veils over you, you got screens over you. You're listening through the pain, and all of a sudden the yeah, but sounds reasonable and rational. And all of a sudden, you get deceived and follow the serpent instead of the Lord. Well, you didn't deserve any of this. Well, they've never done nothing for you. You've tried and tried and tried. How long do you have to just keep trying and trying without them giving back anything? Marriage is 50-50. It's a lot of work. They ain't in it. If they ain't in it, how can you ever have anything? If God had that conversation about you, you wouldn't be born again. That, that conversation is unrighteous. It's demonic because it's self-serving. Doesn't sound like life laid down. Love not your own life unto death. It sounds like issues. Why is it so hard to look at the person and realize they're in trouble? They're blind. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. And even if they look willful and intentful, why is it so easy to not see that they need delivered? Like if Jesus would come back in that moment, are they okay? No. Why doesn't that matter? Why don't you in their life, why don't you see you in their life being maybe a tool where God can bring them to understanding because you model what love looks like and you model Christ. And one day after years of misconduct, they break down and say, no one has ever loved me like you. No one has ever been faithful and and, and stayed. Nobody's been patient. You have shown me what love looks like. And they begin to break and cry and get changed and saved because you didn't jump ship or because you didn't say, well, you know, there's more to life than this. I got one life. It's slipping by fast. I got to make the most of it. No, you gave your life for Remember, I hear so much psychology taught in Christianity, it grieves my heart. There's so many marriage ministries that are straight up psychology driven. And they're on TV, a lot of them. And I hear them and they say, well, you know how much pain it is when your spouse and I know the trouble you must have been through. Talk about the turmoil. Talk about the anguish. Talk about the nights crying and how the Lord had to give you peace to make you sleep. And I'm thinking they don't even understand the gospel. Like if I wake up for my wife to do me right, I'm only as good as she's doing. If I wake up to love her, I'm absolutely fine. Because she doesn't owe me anything. You say, yeah, but brother, it's a covenant. So how about doing your part? All that is yours is theirs. See, we don't realize how we're tricked into thinking for ourselves. Boy, I can feel how challenged you are right now. I can feel it. It's okay. It's okay. Do you know why I'm feeling that? Because it's in the room then. That means there's temptations, things, desires. There was people this morning tempted 
getting drawn into it. I saw people while I was preaching on a chat room talking to somebody in danger zone, not realizing the snare that was happening or not caring because they're hurt. I saw it this morning when I was preaching. It came on me. I got passionate. And I said, it's not optional. And I freaked out, man. Why? To rescue you from that thing. Why? Because I need to be Lord in your life and be right? Are you kidding me? I said it. I'm going to get on an airplane and fly home and life's going to be amazing. I'm going to hear his voice, sleep in peace, wake up tomorrow, another day in Jesus. Yay. But I think your life matters too. What, am I here to win some prize? Am I here for a big offering? No. I'm here because I believe what I preach. And I believe he paid a price for you and you're worth it. Listen, man, I could, I had 600 invites. I could be anywhere. I chose to be here. I want to be here. Like, I'm here because I want to. The Lord didn't say, you have to travel. I'm not here so you pay my bills next month. Are you kidding me? I'm here because I believe the gospel and I wanted to come here. And I believe you guys have ears to hear and you're going to become something through this message. I do believe that. I mean, actually, I believe that everywhere I go. I mean, I don't care how much they resist me. I'm excited because I sowed seed. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is if a man scatters seed. Well, I fulfilled that. Come on, they gave me a mic. I sowed seed. Danny Appleseed or gospel seed, you know. <laughs> I just got these big bags over my shoulder, man. Come on, this relationship thing, don't, don't be deceived. Don't, don't be like, well, marriage is 50-50. I, I, don't, I disagree. Marriage is I love you. Come on, if God's covenant was 50-50... We're out of fellowship and we've got broken covenant and he can't do a thing for us all the time. Why do we change our physical relationship from what we have with him? Why do we expect him to forgive us of everything we've ever done and then we can't forgive a marital issue? Matthew 18 says that's an evil and wicked servant that wants forgiven and doesn't want to become forgiveness. That has the form of godliness and denies the power of godliness. Come on, guys. It's just straight up. Why would you cry out and expect God to be merciful because we paint him through scripture and preach him as a merciful God and not get the point that it's so you become merciful? He said, you be, I am merciful, so you be merciful. Right? How self-centered would it be to want to get something from God without becoming the beauty of that same thing? Do you see how individualistic that is? How self-serving that is? We tend to preach the message that way. Growing up as a kid, I heard messages like that all the time. There's people in the church that are deceived and think they have these special dibs on God. God treats them special and different. And they boast in a weird kind of favor like it's just strange. Like, well, you better not do me wrong. God will get you. He already told me I'm his anointed, and if you touch his anointed, touch not the anointed. No, you are twisting scripture, and you have a hard heart, and it's time to get out of delusion and start loving the people you're mad at. Because I would hope if you touch the anointed, some anointing's going to get on them, not offense and bitterness. <laughs> you know, this love thing's powerful, man. If you really love people. We had some people come into our church one time. It was a weird thing. They, they, they had a message they wanted to infiltrate into the church. So they actually slid into the church and were sliding into, sliding into ranks of leadership. It was a weird, scary, weird thing. Like when you think about it, it's like people actually are thinking this way. It's like a movie. 
And they're trying to get to certain leaders and they're going to certain homes because they want to get a message into the church to change the church because they believe this message. So without just sitting down on leadership, talking or anything. So I'm a pastor, right? So I'm leading intercession. I'm leading intercession. All I know is these guys are new. I don't know them. Man, you're worth the blood and Jesus loves you. Hey, let's pray. That's all. I don't have first thoughts and impressions. If God really shows me something, I, I'm like, I don't even want that. But sometimes that happens, but that's rare. I'm not a first impression guy. I, I, I will not read a book by the cover because the Bible says don't ever do it. Yeah. The Bible says never judge a man according to the flesh. Yeah. So why would I if I'm a believer? Why would I just because I used to? Why would I? Because it comes natural to men. It doesn't come natural to God. God sees in righteous judgment. I want change. Do you see what I mean by non-optional? Man, it's time to shake ourselves and be the best steward of our own life and be the best friend to your own conscience. Don't ask for accountability partner before you've made your own accountability partner in yourself. You ought to be your best accountability partner. Because if you're not holding yourself accountable, you need to look at your own heart. If I need David to call me every day to make sure I'm walking the line, I probably need to get right with God. And deal with my heart. Now, I understand addictions and some cycles where you need somebody to walk with you. But you ought to be selling out and doing your part and crying tears, man. Right? Not just, well, the only reason I smoked it because you didn't call me, man. (laughs) The only reason I went over to her house and did it, man, is because you didn't ask me if I was going over there. (laughs) At what point do you revive your own conscience and be the steward of your own heart? And say, wait a minute, if this thing is only feeding my flesh and passing a pleasure or a moment of sin that's a passing pleasure, then I need to address it, man, and I need to get militant and diligent, and it's not works. And even if I've got to shut myself in a bedroom till I lay a hold of him, man, I'm not going there, man. My life is worth more. The blood says so. I honestly think the enemy was playing this seductive thing for years now. I think it's been about a couple generations where he's just trying to Make it a gospel that benefits us instead of changes us. That's why there's so many discouraged people that go to church because they believe the beneficial message instead of the transformed message. So we're in intercession in this lady. This is why you don't have to be afraid of nothing. People say, well, you be careful who touches you out in the crowd. You don't know what they're into. You be careful. You don't just... I'm like, are you kidding me? What a lie from the devil. You're supposed to go pray for the sick. If you can't pray for the sick and take their hand because you're afraid of what they're into, come on. They throng Jesus. So this lady comes and she grabs my arm and she starts praying and crying and praying in this chanty tongue thing. And it just sounded a little different. And I just was like, that's an interesting tongue. But I'm innocent. I'm a pastor. I'm leading intercession. I got my girls there. They just weep. You just mentioned Jesus. You know, look, Jesus is awesome. They're just like that. When I started leading intercession with them girls, I said, Lord, you got to do something with my heart. Because I can't even run with these girls. These girls are ridiculous. Like, they love you. Like, they are much more. You said, you got to put Esther, Deborah, you got to put all them ladies in me. And I'm telling you, I ain't intimidated by ladies' meetings. I go to a glow years ago. I do a, a women's ministry, straight up all women. I walk in and say, I just want you girls to know I'm not one bit intimidated. And I just, ah. And I talk on their level. And God lets me reach their heart like some women can't even reach their heart. Because you know what they see? They see Jesus in me and they see pure love. I can hold them girls and cry and never cross a line. Yeah. Yeah. She grabbed my arm and started chanting and praying some weird thing. I don't know why I'm even telling this stuff. I don't even ever know half what I'm doing. 
I'm on a journey with you. I hope we get somewhere, buddy. Pray for me, Nathan. She's down on her knees, and she's doing this real emotional chant, and she's crying, and she's praying this chanty tongue. And, and I'm like, and Father, I'm praying for the city, right? And I'm just praying for God and for hearts to awake and become alive. And, and we're teaching how to love our city. And you can't even intercede for your city if you don't have love for your city. You're not praying because you saw in the news a gang moved in. You have compassion on where they're at and that they're lost. And you're asking God to bring salvation. You're not asking God to drive the gang out of your city because they're going to go to somebody else's. And then you say, well, then they need to get in prayer and drive them out of their city. Stop it. She's doing this thing, and I don't even know what's going on. I'm totally innocent, but I love people. I'm not skeptical. I don't have a raised eyebrow. I'm not like, yeah, that's weird. What's that lady doing? She's a little over-emotional. I don't know if I like her. She's a little strange. None of that is in me anymore. It used to be in me 24-7. It was so arrogant and self-righteous. Somehow I always thought I was a little better than you. How tragic is that? She's doing this, praying. And all of a sudden, I feel this tangible presence and anointing of God coming down my arm. Like, like it just felt like it was powerful. I could feel it going down my arm. And I'm like, Lord, that's like a release of the anointing. That's like a tangible presence. It's like a, a, an invisible water and energy that I feel go on. People are, right? And I'm like, what? And it went right down my arm. And when it got to her hand, she freaked out. She started screaming. And she was like she was holding on to an electric fence. And she started, and I'm like, God, what's going on? <laughs> that thing that was driving her, she touched me with intent. And Holy Ghost said, I got your back. I got your rear guard. You don't live in fear. That means I can move. Now, those guys are leaving just because they need to. So don't think it's my preaching when they leave. See you, Pat. See you, Glenn. Matt, see you guys. Bless you. He told me, are you all right if I jump up? I said, I'm fine because I know it ain't my preaching. I'll make sure they know. <laughs> you know, I didn't want you interceding for them. Like, oh, wow, Pastor Dunn ran them guys out, and they weren't even on the front. Front must have been too hot for them. They had to bolt. <laughs> no, they just got to go. They have a time scheduled day and get the boy back to college and all that good stuff. What great people, huh? Yeah. So this lady's screaming, freaking out. Here's what happened. She touched me with intent, and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. A lot of times the reason you pray is because you're afraid. Sometimes you don't even have to pray. Your faith is already working there. You're, you don't even see it as a prayer thing. But sometimes fear initiates prayer. A lot of things we pray, we're moved by the problem, so we pray. We watch our child and see symptoms of something. We just read a book. We just saw an article. It's amazing, the timing. You think it's God, but when you let it produce fear, the timing probably wasn't God. You just read an article and got natural knowledge. Now you look at your child through that screen, and now you're worried and concerned. So you go to your bedroom, and you cry for two hours and pray that they don't get deceived, and now you got all this fear in you and worry. Now you're looking at your son all the time through fear. Instead of getting in your bedroom with covenant with God, not letting your child identify you, you're solid and secure in Christ. Yes, you want your child to prosper. Yes, you love your child. But you understand your child is never your identity and never decides your productivity. And no matter what choice your child makes, you're on this thing forever and you're solid as a rock because he's in you. You don't let your child decide your productivity, your disposition or your joy. Come on, we got to stop living in idolatry. 
God never gave you children at the cost of who he is. He gave you children in light of who he is. So you shine his truth through it all. You don't say, well, I'm a mother. I just love them. No, stop. You're finding your identity through them and you're finding your mothering through them. It's a degenerate form of things. It's not love. Feels like it to your heart. It feels like it to your emotions. But look what it's doing to you. It's crushing you. You can't even function. See, you walk in a bedroom and you say, Father, I thank you for the day I conceived Johnny. And I know in my heart he has destiny and calling. I don't know what's going on right now. I'm looking at him and tempted to believe the worst. But I'll tell you what. I believe your hand is upon him. You're working in his heart and his mind. He doesn't seem as communicatable. He seems a little distant. But I thank you he'll never be distant from you. Your hand will stretch out and reach him, God. And you will touch him in every way. I bless Johnny. He owes me nothing. I am honored to be his mother, his father. And I am glad that I can send an example of Christ to his life. No matter what's going on in his mind and what he's deciding. And even if I can't change it, I know one thing. You will never stop loving him, wooing him, and drawing him. And I thank you whatever he chooses is not under destruction. But for your great name, God, you will do a work for your glory. God, I appreciate it. And you say, and Johnny won't even let me hug him. He won't even let me hug him. I can't even hug him. And you're falling. But so hug everybody else's kids. They're worth just as much. There, there's no other child on the earth worth more than Johnny. Stop believing lies. Your neighbor's teenager is worth exactly as much to Johnny to you. It should be. Yes, that's your child. Yes, there's a heritage. Yes, there's a bloodline. Yes, that's your biological child, and you felt him kicking your body. But you show me scripturally where the neighbor's teenager has one iota less value than Johnny. There was a season where both my kids wouldn't let me hug them. They ran from me because they weren't going after God, and I'm a maniac. I'm not a maniac. I don't Bible thump my kids. I sit and talk with them in sincerity. I talk with pastors. We have so many of you say, well, you need to train your kids up in the way they should go. I did. And in the mid-teen years, they believed some lies. And I told them a thousand times what was happening and don't do it. And sometimes that word of knowledge. And every once in a while, lift up the mattress and look and open up the drawer. I never searched my kids' rooms, ever. But sometime I'm going to the bathroom, you need to go look under his mattress. Whoa. That's God. But I didn't then start searching. I didn't search. I just lived in God. But I'll tell you what, when somebody's surrendered and living in God and you have other desires in your heart, it makes you feel very uncomfortable, very frustrated, very angry. And even though there was nothing hypocritical about my life, I wasn't overbearing and angry and frustrated. I was gentle, loving, kind, but I was stern and passionate when the truth involved. But I would always say it for their sake. That doesn't mean they're never going to do what they want to do. And see, we think we're failing. When our kids, look, is God the greatest father ever? Seriously, honestly, do you believe it? Do you believe God is an amazing father? Do you believe he needs a parenting program or some insight? (laughs) Well, then why isn't everybody running to his lap to sit? He's the best father ever. Why isn't everybody sitting there? Maybe it's not a father issue like we always say in the church. If the father's whatever, if the father's, if the father. wonder if it's a lack of sonship and belonging. wonder if it's a lack of destiny and purpose-driven hearts. wonder if it's not always about the dads in the home. wonder if it's about a lack of sonship. 
I've heard countless intercessory prayers. If the fathers, it's the fathers in the heart of the children, back to the fathers and the fathers, and we quote the scripture and we make a whole thing and we always make it about the fathers and then men live pressured and think if their kids fail, it's their fault. People make decisions and choices. My boy wrote me a note after he came home from just drug crazy stuff. And he wrote me a note and mailed it, snail mailed it to the mailbox. Oh, he couldn't email me. I guess that's why he snail mailed it. Wow, and I always thought that was so personal. No, No, he did it on purpose. He mailed it to me. In that note, he said, Dad, I was so angry. And the whole time realized I was angry at nothing. At the time, I had so much flesh rage, and I had my friends tell me this and that, and, and the pastor's kid's always the worst, and wow, you're going to have to this. you got shoes to fill. Wow, you're being controlled by what your dad is. And just working in it. And all of a sudden, he's resenting that I'm his dad because he feels like it's controlling his own life when it's not his own. See how, see how subtle it is? It's not that his dad's a hypocrite. It's not that I'm here preaching to you and smacking him over the head when I'm at home, cracking open a beer and cursing. It's not like he sees me yelling at his mom. My two children have never seen me raise my voice at their mother in 22 years. Now, that's not to condemn you. If you just shouted down your wife, I'm telling you it's possible to live that way. It takes two to tango. It takes one to make peace. You ain't going to make me one of those two. It's not going to happen. I settled it. I'm non-optional. You can't pull me into that in my home. I am not, it's, it's impossible. I love her and my family and represent Christ. It's impossible. You're not going to make it happen. My pastor used to say, Dan, you can't, you can't preach that. When you, when you fail, if you make a mistake, you won't even be able to recover. You'll be like, you can't preach that. I said, no, no, I am preaching it because that's what I'm going to live in. Grace is going to empower me because I'm sincere. And I'm going to let grace take me where nobody's willing to even try to go. So now I'm either lying and I'm looking for your temporal woe or I'm telling the truth. You'll have to decide, but time will. (laughs) Yeah? I don't know what it would look like to argue with my wife. I think when we do that, angels look at us cockeyed (laughs) and wonder what we're doing because it's not heaven on the earth and they're of the kingdom of God. Could you imagine what we put angels in the midst of? <laughs> they come from the holy presence of God and come to hang out with us and watch over us. You don't even know they're there, you know. They're just there to help and aid. And, and all of a sudden you're like, honey, what did you do with my shoes? Well, I don't know. Where'd you take them off? <laughs> Why is it me? What do you think I did? You shouldn't probably, maybe the dog carried them and you're, you're yelling over nothing. <laughs> if people would hear themselves on a recording, how you talk to each other when you get familiar with each other, you sound frustrated a lot when you talk in your own homes. You don't even realize how it happens. <laughs> hey, honey, did you see my shoes at all? I'm having trouble finding them. I know sometimes I don't put them in the right places. I'm not sure where I put them, girl. Man, I don't know, honey. I'll help you look for them. <laughs> Why is that so hard? Doing wash, doing wash, going to work. I hope this family appreciates me standing on these hot roofs, 100 and some degrees. I'm tired of these blanking roofs. I don't even know why, God, you don't give me a new job. You know? And then you're, you're, you're resenting a gift called life. 
And, and if you feel that way about work, you're going to subconsciously reflect it back on the ones you're providing for. All things, everything you do, whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it unto the glory of God. How do you go to work for the glory of God? Go in his image. Go there. How does a woman that's a homemaker do four loads of laundry to the glory of God? <laughs> Especially when you walk up to the washer and go, and it's four. And you did two yesterday. <laughs> and if you're not careful, here's what happens. Are you kidding me? What, you think I'm married to the laundry room? I mean, <laughs> and then you go on and on about the wash. And you pull out the shirt, and Billy's shirt's inside out. And you've told him a hundred times not to do that to mommy because it makes your job tougher. So you're like, well, then I'm just going to wash his shirt. I've told him if he does it again, he's just going to have to wear inside-out clothes. And when he gets old enough, <laughs> and then you pull out your husband's shirt, and you go... Now, I know that man only wore that thing for 10 minutes. What is up with him? What's he like? I'm his slave? He must think I'm his Cinderella. <laughs> and you just sat for breakfast with your three lady friends that say amen and hallelujah every couple words, right? So you're spiritual, right? So you just prayed for Billy and you prayed for his destiny and you interceded over him and you blessed him. Now you're at the washer and you're frustrated because you pulled out a shirt and it's inside out and you told him yesterday to never do that again. And he said, okay, mom, but here it is. So now you're saying, that boy, if I told him once, I told him a hundred times, he'll never get it. He'll never learn. And now you're just subverting everything you hallelujah and amen at your holy breakfast. Boy, I'm getting it real today, ain't I? Let me tell you what sanctification looks like. Let me tell you what a real holy woman of God, a man of God looks like. You're standing in that washroom and all those things happen and people weren't regarding you, your time, or anything, but you learned something through Jesus. And you're not enabling them, you are loving them. Because you're still talking to Billy about his shirts and you're still in a sweet way saying, Honey, I know you probably like a fresh shirt now and then. I don't know if you understand how much wash I did in the last two days. And I want you to know I'm not frustrated. I love you and I love and I honor you. But sweetheart, that one shirt, I know you only wore that for 10 minutes. I don't think you're even thinking about it. You just pitched that right in the laundry. I've done six loads in two days. And sweetie, I think we're running water, using detergent, and putting me in that thing. And it's not necessary. I just, I'm encouraging you to just think through on that. But I love you. And if you feel like you need your fresh shirt and you only want to wear a 10, I'll wash it. I'm just bringing it to your attention. Love you, baby. Come on. Well, you know what? Everything just turns subtly into obligatory. All of a sudden, even our intimacy lives, I'm going there now. All of a sudden, they're sexualized. All of a sudden, it's just because the man did all the right things. Now the woman's actually rewarding the husband for actually being half decent half a week. <laughs> Twisted. Messed up. Because you're actually teaching him to live that way. And it has nothing to do with love, and I give to you, and I love you. I'm just saying, I better quit. Are we done? We got to just quit. No, no, we're done, man. We said enough. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Keeping it real, though, ain't we? Come on, don't tell me that you can't use that laundry as a springboard to blessing and prophesying over your family. You pull your husband's shirt out, and your mind goes, I know he only wore that 10 minutes. 
And you say, Father, I thank you for what you're doing in that man and how you're causing him to have influence and how you're changing his heart into the very love of your son. And I thank you on work, how men can't help but to see the glory of God in his life. Please encourage him, Lord. Please strengthen him, Lord. Please, God, minister by your spirit to that man. I love him so much. You pick up Billy's inside out shirt and you chuckle and you say, oh, that little boy, I tell you, he's going to grow into something mighty, God. Because I'm going to stay patient and I'm going to keep sowing into him and I'm going to get repetitious and this nail is going to get driven so deep into his heart and he's going to rise up and be everything. I thank you, God, that even now I'm not frustrated with Billy. He's just a child and it might seem like he's learning slow, but I'll tell you, he's learning and he's going to become everything you've desired. What an honor to serve him and wash his little outfit, God. He sure looks good in it. Yeah? Then you pull out your daughter's. And you begin to prophesy over your daughter. Because see, whether you realize it or not, the power of death and life is in your tongue. You can pray for life all you want and speak death, and you got it backwards. Okay, so here's the deal. Congratulations for coming to church. That's the best accolade you'll get out of me. So that's become something. <laughs> I'm turning it over to you, man. You have been listening to an audio message from Dan Moeller, presented at Rock City Church in the beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Thank you so much for taking time to listen. Please visit us whenever you're in town. And our prayer is that you'll continue to be inspired and wind-driven in all that you do.